Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Equip You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. But today you have a special host. It is the best host. It is my awesome wife, my best friend, my sweetheart. Uh, Sarah is back with us. And today uh, she's going to tell us what's up and she's going to host the show. Well, thank you, Dave. And thanks for joining us on this uh, new episode of Equipping You in Grace. Uh, Can you catch us up? on what's been going on in your ministry and all the projects that you're doing and anything else you can think of. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's always crazy, as you know, uh, various writing things and family and, uh, of course, trying to be a good husband to you by God's grace and everything else. Uh, I'm working on a new book on biblical worldview and how it's under attack and that's going well by God's grace. And uh, other than that, just staying busy, um, as I said, and uh, trying to trying to stay f- focused and humble and uh, faithful in the many places that God has uh, placed me. So, All right. So um, you've written a new book and um, it is called The Word Matters. So it's very exciting. Uh, it's a uh, another book that uh, is kind of part of a series that you're doing um, for the the uh, layperson, and hopefully will be very helpful to everybody in our audience. And so, I was just hoping that you would take a minute to uh, tell us a little bit about the book and um, why you wrote it and that type of thing. You know, this is a this is a really good question. Um, I think that the average Christian is getting slaughtered yeah. today. Literally, I don't say that, uh, you know, I I say that, well, not literally, you know, obviously metaphorically, (laughs) but I mean, you look at literally, yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at the stats out there, uh, Gallup Research just released a poll that Mm -hmm. was uh, heartbreaking that many Americans believe that the Bible is not literal, and they believe that it's full of myths and fairy tales and you know, whatever. I mean, mythical dragons, even. I mean, I, I don't even know, you know, like at that point, you might as well just add that in there for fun. But more seriously, I wrote the book um, for the average lay person. Um, I wanted to, the first book kind of helped, I think, the average person to understand the problem of biblical literacy. This is where we get a little bit deeper into uh the problems that are happening in the church and we start to deal with the poison because that's what a doctor does um a doctor deals with you know they deal with you know they they address the symptoms but they're really after is the cure and so in this book i'm i'm starting to address um not only the symptoms but provide the cure the right medicine mm-hmm. and um uh, you know, to to the challenges that that we're facing. And so 
Um, I just want to help the average lay person understand, you know, what the doctrine of scripture is and then how the doctrine of scripture is under attack. So, but uh, don't hear me say that I'm only just focusing on the Bible. I'm also helping you, yes, ground yourself in the Bible, but also in the great resources that the church has provided to us, you know, over the years. Um, and that is really, really important to me, as you know. Uh, yes, definitely. Um, okay, so our first question for you this evening is, why is it important to allow scripture to inform our beliefs and what we uh, hear from the Lord? Yeah, well, the Sunday school answer is the best answer here. Scripture is the only way to know God. Um, it is specific revelation, you know, the 66 books of the Bible. And so there's no other way to hear from God other than to read the Bible, to study it, to hear it preached. Um, that's the only way that we can hear from God. Now, you might be listening and be like, okay, Dave, you know, I've heard you talk about that or watched you talk about that. And, you know, that's that's all well and good. But why? Um, and it's a fair question because, you know, where where Sarah and I live, especially you have the new apostolic reformation and you're hearing you hear things like that. I have a I have a word from the Lord and I got I got, you know, your healing. And, and it's like, wait, what? where's where's the bible and so you have add-on revelation to the 66 books of the bible um, you might even get a knock on the door from a mormon or jehovah's witness and you wonder why are they handing me this track and they want to convert me from what i believe to you know in the bible to their bible why do they have a different bible um it's because what we do with the bible really matters um it matters because, as I argue in the book, the church the, the church has given answers from the word of God to the issues that we're facing today. We're not we're not left without answers. We're left with rich, satisfying, intellectually satisfying issues. In fact, you can. <laughs> Even even it's been said, you know, the child can wade into the waters of the Bible, right? And and even the most learned scholar can't go into the depths of Scripture. The same is true with the church history. You, you can dabble in a little bit of this and a little bit of that in church history, but you can wade in for your whole life, and you can never mine the depths of church history. So you can never mine the depths of the Bible, and you can never mind the depths of church history. So that really helps us because we don't need to, we don't need anything other than the Bible. We just need the Bible and that's enough. So in your opinion, uh, with, especially with all this new apostolic reformation uh, stuff going on, uh, how it's really exploded is there a way that we can be assured that seeming answers to prayer are of the Lord? You know, it's not even the new apostolic reformation that struggled with this. It's the average Christian too. Mm -hmm. They, they wonder, Hey, where, where is God when it, when it hurts? Where is, where is the Lord? Does he care for me? 
Uh, does he hear my prayers? And, you know, thankfully, because of Christ alone as our high priest, he hears the Christian. Uh, that's why Hebrews 4.16 summons us before the throne. But in order to answer this question, we need to understand two things. The revealed will of God, which is in the 66 books that constitute the word of God, and the hidden will of God. God is, Deuteronomy 29.29 tells us that God has decided to, um, in his sovereign sovereign power, he has kept things to himself. Yeah. Meaning that, you know, in a, in his sovereignty, you know, he said, hey, here's 66 books. That's enough. And your finite mind is not going to be able to grasp all the the intricacies of the mysteries. And so when we get to heaven, a lot of us, you know, that have studied systematic theology for years and years and years and all these things, we'll have lots of questions. And And I mean, who knows if we'll even be able to grasp it, you know, when we're glorified. No, but, you know, we can, those of us who are nerds, we, we hope to, you know, <laughs> understand the, the, the intricacies of various different theologies. But the, the point is, is for the average person in the pew, they want to know that God hears their prayers. Well, they hear God hears our prayers uh, because they're grounded in the word. You know, the, the disciples, they, they ask alert. Teach us to pray. Jesus' response was the Lord's prayer or the disciples' prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give it this day our daily bread and, and so on and so on and so forth, you know. So so that prayer, it it teaches us, you know, the basics, the fundamentals of, the, of, of prayer. But it also helps us to pray according to the Bible. That doesn't mean that that means that our prayers as well, just as with everything aspect of our lives, need to be regulated by the word of God. Um, so, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask uh, as a kind of a two part follow up to that question. Um, when we are, you know, staying in the word and we're staying in prayer and we're you know, using the tools of grace to the best of our ability. And we have something that comes up like a big decision that we have to make. For example, um, maybe you uh, have a new job offer on the table and your question is, Lord, should I, should I leave my existing job or take this job? For example, what we would commonly call maybe a sign or something that we would interpret as a sign um, to lead us in one direction or another. How can we know if we're praying faithfully, if we're praying biblically, mm. that that could be from the Lord? Is there a way to know that? And if so, what is yeah. that? It's a great question. I mean, and the question, like when we moved, the question is, uh, so we feel like the Lord is, you know, leading us to move. How do I know that I'm going to move? Well, there's nothing, there's no chapter and verse that says thou shalt move to, you know, Roseburg, Oregon, or wherever you're moving to and from, you know, I mean, you know, we, we decided to get out of, get out of California and, um, you know, all those things and won't spell out those reasons, but, you know, um, yeah, anyways, uh, <laughs> I think I just gave that away, but uh, seriously, um, you know, 
we we saw it, we saw it, we prayed about it. We did seek, you know, our our pastors and those who knew us well in the area where we are at in California. And we I saw other guidance as well. But when it comes down to it, there's no verse in the Bible that says move. Um, it's it ends up being a wisdom call. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like picking that doesn't mean that to deny what Proverbs says in the abundance of wisdom, there's counselors. It just says like there's no verse that says you don't pick up and and move um, mm-hmm. in that way. It's like do how do you know that the house that you you like? I mean, can, can the other person tell you somebody that's not your spouse? Can they tell you that you know, uh, hey, you, you like this house? I mean, you know what you want in a house. Um, the issue becomes in the providence of God. So you like the house. The issue is, can you pay for it? Um, so if not, if you don't make enough money, guess what? You're you're gonna get have to get a house that uh, you know you can afford, and that becomes a tool in the providence of God, where God places us. You know, He always places us, but He uses those things that like this to place us where He wants us. And he always places us where he has need of us. Um, but he uses means like us moving um, or the job, same same kind of situation. There's no like thing in, in the Bible where it says, hey, thou shall have this job. Yeah. Um, about the only the only thing I would say that would be uh, uh, in, in that category would be like a pastor where the church is affirming you know, a man to be a pastor, that that would be the only difference where I would say, but, but the question with the job to your question, it relates to what I just said, and that, do you have the talents, the skill and the ability and the education and the experience that the employer wants? And if you do, then, and they like you, and you meet their, whatever they want, then you'll maybe probably get hired. Um, and if you don't, then, you know, it wasn't meant to be. And a lot of people stress out about stress out about this. Don't I like to think of it this way. And I've come to realize this over the years. Um, it's helped my anxiety. It, it's just to understand that not every not every no and not every yes means that it's what God wants. Mm-hmm. And that just reflects the fact that. Um, the, the, even the yes or the no can be, it can be a test and it often is, Hey, are you going to take that to prayer? Are you going to take that to the person, another brother or sister or to your pastor? Are you going to ask for input and and are people going to ask you questions? So when somebody's coming to you to talk to you about this, um, and you're a trusted person, be ready to ask those questions. Why are you moving? Um, what's, what seems to be happening? Are you moving closer to family? Mm-hmm. That'll ultimately boil down to where we were. That's a legit, that's a legit reason, you know, well, I'm just going to move because I don't like the politics or I don't like this church or there's no church. Well, not having a church around you is, is another reason to move, but like just to up and move to move, you know, that's, that's not a very good answer, but there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of these things that, um, there's a lot of things that to say about that. Just 
I don't want to get too specific here because I don't want you to think, well, yeah, I want to give you a general answer. The general answer is it, it depends and on your situation, and then it depends also on the specifics. But that's why you have to talk to people uh, in your church and your pastors. That's why you have to have trusted Christian friends. Um, really, really important. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot to say there. I was just going to say, it sounds like in summary, it's a little bit of discernment, a lot of prayer and um, a lot of divine providence as to, you know, whether or not we need to do this or that, or, you know, whatever we're praying about, you know, seeking the Lord over. Yeah. We don't need to stress out about it. We stress out about it a lot. You know, don't stress out about it. Seek wisdom, seek guidance, make a decision, pray, and and then do it. You know, if that's what you're going to do, don't sit there and be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm I'm going to fret out." And, and and no, 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 no. The Bible tells us for a reason in Philippians four uh, six through eight, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer with supplication make your requests known to God." And the peace of God, which is an experiential thing you know, will be known to us. And so, you know, we don't need to be anxious in this. We should pray. We should cast our burdens on the Lord and then trust him, get some wisdom, get some counsel and uh, guidance from other mature Christians and move forward if that's what we're going to do. So like we, when we moved, obviously we, you know, you know, we went up here to where we're at in Roseburg, the Roseburg area. And we looked you know, first to see, hey, are we going to like this? Is our house that we like? Uh, we like this area. Uh, we're moving for family uh, to be closer to, to you know, Sarah's siblings and then, you know, our various family in the Pacific Northwest. Okay, we like it. Let's do it. You know, that's what we did. Well, there's a lot to be said uh, for not just um, divine providence, but for how God uses our free will choices in decision-making and that type of thing. But um, let's uh, get back to the uh, topic at hand. (laughs) Um, It's a great question that you asked. Great, great discussion. Well, and it kind of leads into a little bit of uh, my next question, because uh, you mentioned the uh, abundance of in the abundance of counselors, there's wisdom, I believe is the uh, scripture reference that you mentioned a minute ago. And um, today we we see a lot of debate about how certain key pieces of scripture have been misinterpreted, uh, supposedly misinterpreted for thousands of years, such as the church's stance on homosexuality. Um, why do you think these texts are being challenged now and what can you what can we as christians do to combat against this yeah it's a it's a good question because when we ultimately what we're dealing with is two things first we're dealing with people who don't believe the bible Mm. they don't believe that the bible is literally the word of god they don't believe that it's without error they don't believe that it's without the possibility of error and they, so they undermine the Bible, and so they come to the Bible. Um, and then when you come to the Bible in this way, you're going to get the wrong answer, meaning that our view of the Bible itself affects 
how we're going to interpret the scripture. Sure. Now, this is exactly you also have them, uh, the this this particular view. They want to reinterpret that that's their word, reinterpret those passages about homosexuality or anything about sexual sin to normalize it. Now, in a sociological perspective, um, just really quickly, a, a norm is a cultural value. The Bible has its own norms, has its own standards, if you will. That is that God made marriage between one man and one woman for life under God. That is that is literally Genesis 1 and 2. And so when when we have this idea that you can have any number of combinations or whatever pronoun, you know, your personal pronouns, you're a man with a man or a woman with a woman or, or any number of lunat lunacy uh, thing, combinations. And, and by the way, I just want to say this before I go into this. When we talk about this, we're not just picking on homosexuals or anything like that. Um, we're, we also need to say, you know, all sexual sin, whether it's a, a guy looking at pornography or a woman looking at pornography or cohabitating, um, you know, having sex before marriage or homosexuality or transgenderism or personal pronouns or you name it, whatever, whatever it is and whatever the next thing that comes, um, it, it all is against God's design. God's design is for one man and one woman to be married for life under God. Now, <laughs> you might think, well, that's just traditional values. And so what? Well, it matters because, as I said at the outset of this answer, um, Believing that the Bible is without error and without the possibility of error means that you are going to take the Bible literally, meaning the Bible says this is what marriage is. You're going to accept it. You're going to believe it. You're going to take God at his word, and you yourself are going to obey it. And this, this is really, really important because really what we have to do is we have to emphasize what I – the, the twofold answer that I gave, what is the doctrine of scripture? Well, the Bible is without error, without the possibility of error. It's clear, meaning that, it, you know, it says what it says. It means what it means. Okay. It's for every phase and every aspect of our life and it's binding in our lives. Okay. So that's, that's the Bible teaching. Secondly, um, we need to take that and press at home and help people to, to take that back to the Bible and say, hey, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible means. Uh, so, so we can even use, and I do this in the book, we can even use their take on whatever, and we can engage with their, their arguments and their ideas and show why their explanation doesn't line up with the Bible that they say that they're interpreting. And this is really, really important because they don't believe the Bible. So we, it might seem kind of circular, but we take them back to the Bible that they say that they're interpreting. The, the best answer, the, the Holy Spirit inspired answer is to take them back to the Bible 
explain what the Bible is, what is the Bible aiming to do, and what is that text that they're interpreting or reinterpreting, if you will. Why is our reinterpretation not coherent, not consistent with that passage and with the rest of the passages? And anything that goes against God's design is against God's word. God's word is clear from the Genesis to, to Revelation, everywhere in between. God's design is for one man and one woman. Just on this specific question, one man and one woman for life under God. So how do we combat it? We got to go back to the Bible. We got to emphasize what the Bible is. We got to emphasize the authority of the Bible. We got to emphasize the how to rightly interpret the Bible. We have to respond to arguments with the Bible. The, the Bible is its own defense. That, that's the that's the thing. The Bi- I've said it before. The Bible is its own best apologetic. The Bible is what the Holy Spirit will use to convict sinners. We have to we have to believe the Bible. We have to trust the Bible. We have to not compromise on the Bible, and and this is how we respond. Um, we we take people back to the Bible. We explain what the Bible is. Patient, by the way, patience and gentleness. Um, if you look at even how to engage in apologetics, gentleness. First Peter three fifteen. Be gentleness is on the list. First Peter, first Peter three fifteen. Second Timothy two twenty through twenty two. And anyway, on and on and on. So it matters what we believe about the Bible. It matters what we do with the Bible. And it matters how we respond to this with the Bible that we say we believe, because this is what the Spirit the Spirit uses the word to convict sinners so that we have nothing else to better to offer people and to take them back to the Bible and show them this is why your view doesn't cohere with the Bible. This is what this text means. And we do that in love. We don't do it to point the finger. We do it in love. We, yeah. We're commanded to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. So. Now, do you think that uh, Friedrich Schleiermacher had an effect on this idea of reinterpretation of so many of these key passages? And if so, in what way was that? Or if not, you know, how has his uh, theology or lack thereof affected the church today? Well, what he wanted to do and and the German school of, uh, you know, criticism of the Bible wanted to do is they wanted to relegate the Bible and everything else um, to the even our salvation, especially to the area and the arena of feelings. Now, if you read the book of Psalms, for example, you have a very clear teaching about the Psalms. David is downcast, uh, even says, you know, why are you downcast on my soul? You know, and in Psalm 42 and 43, and then hope in God, hope in God, remind yourself of who God is. So, uh, you know, what he did was he emphasized a theology from below where scripture and our feelings run along the same track. Whereas we as conservative Bible-believing Christians who are Protestant and evangelical and reformed and all those things, Mm -hmm. we emphasize a biblical view that scripture interprets our feelings now it needs to be said that jesus in uh, hebrews 2 17 through 18 hebrews 4 14 through 16 are very clear about this that jesus understood everything that we went through and yet he did not sin and he has full sympathy he experienced meaning the whole the the, the whole panoply of human emotions 
and yet he never sinned. That means that he's unlike us. Yeah. And yet he became one of us and died as a sinless substitute for us. So, and now that text also calls us to come to him because he understands everything that we're going through. So no one should hear that as me saying that God is unconcerned with our emotions because the Bible is clear that that he is. And so we can take our emotions, our fears, and so scriptures to tell us about uh, all of that. And so. So taking into, into consideration that we are to um, look to the scriptures to inform not just our own feelings, but also our opinions of whatever it is that we're um, discussing, uh, including scientific things, you know, um, history things, anything that you can imagine within the scope of uh, knowledge. Why do you think so many Christians cling to the ideas as espoused by Charles Darwin in his book, uh, Origin of Species, despite its blatant contradictions to the Bible? I mean, you can almost say the same thing that I just said. It matters what you do with the Bible, because whether you believe the Bible or not, in this case, you know, uh, many people believe that the Bible teaches evolution. Well, ask the question. Does the Bible support the view of evolution? When you read Genesis, for example, um, there's no way that Moses had in mind the idea of evolution. It it did not even cross his mind. Not only that, but the story itself shows that, as the biblical writers often do, the superiority of the biblical worldview that God created life. He sustains life. He made everything, and he did it, okay? And Moses wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So a literal Genesis 1 through 11 matters because it it provides a foundation for how Jesus and the apostles used the Bible, for example. You know, we'll we'll talk here in just a minute, or maybe we'll just do that now. But, um, you know, Adam, for example, if you have a bad understanding of Adam and you deny Adam as a real person and who lived in real history, I mean, for Pete's sake, uh, you can't understand who we are as humans. Okay, so so even right there, even even we'll just stop right there. Okay, if we don't understand who we are, you know, our anthropology. Apology as human beings, who we are and what defines us, what makes us up. Okay, guess what? You are going to go towards evolution because what evolution offers is a different worldview, a worldview that opposes what the Bible teaches. Yeah. And so that's that's what's at stake. It's a different view of the world that people believe, and then um, they're they're taught this view of how. The world is supposedly made up and governed other than outside of the Bible. And it's appealing to people because they don't want to believe the Bible. And that, again, takes me back to what I said in the last answer. Coming to the Bible, it matters what you think about the Bible. Um, is it is it without air and without the possibility of air? Or is it full of air and myths and fairy tales as uh, quite a significant number of our po- the population of America believes. And then if it's if, if it is without error and it, and then it doesn't have a meaning. Here's the real kicker. Why would you come to a book that to to read it 
why would you come to a book that you don't believe that you believe is full of myths and fairy tales and mythical dragons and whatever else you think? Why would you do that? And and it got real quiet here. Just, you know, it got got kind of quiet up in the air because nobody can answer that question on that side because it makes no it's absurd to come to a book that you're trying to find answers about and from. Mm-hmm. And then and then you don't believe the book. I mean, who even does that? I, 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 you can't even say that you're an intelligent person at that point. Um, you just can't. I mean, this is why the Proverbs call call people who do this kind of thing. They call them a fool. And, and the reason is, is because a fool in the Proverbs, it says a fool says in his heart, there's no God. Um, because the heart is, uh, Jeremiah 17 says, is, is deceptive and it's wicked. And that's why we need a savior. And this is what, why Adam even, to, to bring Adam back into this conversation, why Adam as a real person matters. Because he really did live in that, that real history. And we know he did um, because Paul addresses Adam as a real person in Romans 5, 12 through 21. And the first gospel, the proto-evangelium that 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 uh you know that 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 snake would be crushed uh, colossians mm-hmm. 1 tells us that this is what christ did um so that pro- that that ancient text was fulfilled in the person and the work of christ and so i mean there's there's so many different ways to go at that i mean well you know it's interesting that you mention um this whole idea that uh Adam is established as the patriarchal head and Eve is the, you know, his helper, um, that they were real people in real history. And without that uh, building block, um, so much of scripture is, it doesn't hold any weight. So um, we have this new movement happening in, in our time where the, uh, certain certain groups of people are trying to disassemble the nuclear family they're trying to do away with it um they don't like the idea of a patriarchal headship uh they claim that it's outdated at best and um sexist and in some extremes toxic at worst um how is your understanding uh, or how is a Christian's understanding of gender roles and gender identity, especially with consideration to modern themes of feminism and influence on the way we perceive and interpret scripture uh, today? Yeah. Yeah, we, we have to go back to what the Bible says. And we have to understand what it, that the Bible has a meaning. You know, everybody believes that words have meaning. Otherwise, we wouldn't have dictionaries, right? <laughs> and the Bible, the Bible has a meaning. Meaning that the authors intend to say things, and they do say things, and they say it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to be clear, so that uh, we will know who we are, we will know who God is and what he's like, and we will know uh, who Christ is and what he's come to do. Now, the thing to say about this is, and this is a huge Point. I mean, we could spend a long time, and we both know I could talk about this a long time. <laughs> but I'll summarize 
what the Bible says that gender identity is a gift from God. God specifically assigns a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman. And we see that in Genesis 1 and 2. I mean, it doesn't get, folks, this is not rocket science, okay? It's not. God made a man, a man, and a woman to be a woman. And this is a matter of stewardship. Mm-hmm. And so distorting the, the gender that God assigns uh, to somebody is actually an assault that the, the Bible would tell us, an assault on the God who made us. After, after all, think about this with me for just, just a brief second. We're talking about the one who fashioned us, Psalm 139 says, in our mother's womb. And we're saying to God, you know what? In the womb, guess what? You made a mistake there. Just just, just let that let that thought creep in the back of your mind a little bit for a second there and, and let it hit you. And then I'm going to hit you with this. This is also the God that made this whole world and upholds it by the word of his power. And by the way, I didn't mention this. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows the motivation of your heart because <laughs> he, he made it. And guess what? If you don't take him at his word, you're going to stand before judgment. And people, I understand people get very upset at this. But this is the force of what scripture has to say to us about these matters. Feminism, all, all, all those subjects. And, and they they say that it's antiquated. It's just, you know, that's that's your subjective opinion. Um, that's that's what you think. But we're talking about, again, this isn't subjective. God, <laughs> I just thought of this. Think of me for a second here. Think of saying to the one who made you, you know what? You don't really have a right to tell me what to do. Imagine imagine telling your tell, telling your your father or mother, you know what? You really don't have a right to tell me what to do. Boy, I mean, you're probably going to get a spanking on your butt. Okay, and and you you would be right to get a spanking on your butt. Well, we would. Now, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, now think of this: you're telling the God of the universe, as I as I said, the one who made you, the one who upholds this world, the one who who fashioned you in your mother's womb, the one who knows your thoughts, the length of your days, the hairs on your head, the one who you'll stand before and give an account to. You're telling him that that he made a mistake on your gender. And how does that how's that add up? He's the one that holds the stars. He's the one that you know. Orders the cosmos. He's the one who gives us life and breath. He, he does all these things for our good and his glory. And yet somehow God makes a mistake here on, on our gender. And that, that doesn't make any sense. That's that's rubbish. Um, and but this is what this is when 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 you have to understand the argument and be able to articulate it. So that people can understand the logic of it and that it really is illogical. And this is what people that hold this view, they think, oh, well, I'm totally logical. And logic is, you know, the queen of whatever, my system. And, and it's at the heart of my my self-made religion. And, and that's the that's the sick and perverted thing that Romans 1 tells us is that we will – the creature says to the creator – this is this is I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. And that's the that's the twisted logic of feminism and all, all these other things. God made us the way he did and it and he saw that it was good. That's enough.
that, that that alone is a matter that should be a matter of worship i mean you just yeah. go on and on with that as you know so i'll stop well, there Okay. <laughs> That's good. Cause I actually have another uh, part of my question here. You know, a lot of people, um, especially today, they use this phrase, love is love. And it's applied in all kinds of really bad ways. Like um, to say that it's okay to, uh, if, if you struggle with um, homosexual tendencies, that it's okay to act on them because hey love is love right and uh if one love is okay another love is okay and as long as i love the person i'm you know i'm being a good person or whatever you want to however you want to label that uh a lot of this you know has been uh um, like we we mentioned frederick the theologian um had this impact i believe on the church where our feelings whatever we think and feel is somehow of equal importance or even in in certain aspects higher than um you know the word of god which completely contradicts everything in this philosophy so my question is is this philosophy as it clearly contradicts scripture how is it impacting our churches how do you see this uh having an effect on um the church as a whole yeah well you know you have one arm of the church that emphasizes so the not they're not the church but the the progressives which is a whole nother subject, but they emphasize love as love. Well, just just feel loving towards people. Well, God, First John uh, 4 tells us that God is love. Great. But what they want us to believe is that God is only love. That's the problem because God is not only love. God is holy. He is wrathful. He's a just God. He's a good God. He's a merciful God. And, and on and on and gone that we can go. And this forms a biblical understanding of God. And so this, this self-love movement at its core is all about me. It's all about Romans 1. Okay, what is the, the, the creator-creature distinction? Is the, crea- creator, is the creature going to say to the creator, as I explained just a minute ago, how can the, how can the, the creature say to the creator, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love myself? When when we're where, as as the Westminster Confession said, we were made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So we're going to tell the Creator who made us out of His trinitarian love, inner trinitarian love, out of the abundance of his, the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that now, hey, you're going to love yourself, and you're going to be satisfied by yourself. Um, that's that's not going to work out well. I mean, it's not, and that's why. The self-love movement is so empty and why people aren't satisfied by it and, and why they, you know, you know, it just doesn't work out because we were not made for self-love. We were made to be loved by God and we are made for God and by God. And the only one that can satisfy us is God. And that's why Christ came to pay the penalty in our place for our sin, to, 
be buried and rose again so that we could be satisfied as Psalm 1611 and have joy forevermore. Uh, well, now and forevermore. So. That's an excellent point. Um, a lot of times we see in our world today that um, in the church, especially, um, we'll hear things like, well, you know, I'm not in a homosexual relationship. I'm not disobeying the Lord in that way or anything. So, you know, as long as I'm acting on heterosexual tendencies instead, I'm good to go. Right. I can just, it doesn't matter. I mean, cohabitating, having, you know, hookups whenever I want. That's not a, that's not a sin. Uh, Cause it's, you know, it's heterosexual. So God only considers homosexuality a sin. Right. <laughs> But I, I think that the Bible teaches something completely different. And I was wondering if you could maybe uh, touch on that for a minute. Yeah. You look at every time that's mentioned in the New Testament, First, uh, First Corinthians 6, First Thessalonians 4, uh, Colossians 3, Galatians 5, you know, by the, all these lists, they, they, they describe what the Christian, because of the grace of God, is to look like. In every single one of those lists is a mention of sexual sin. Just, just, just think about that for a minute. Every single one of those passages, you can look them up yourself. I encourage that, of course. Look it up, read it, and you'll say, you'll be like, "Why is that?" Because God, as I said, assigned us a specific gender, but the one who created us also set the standard. And by the way, he's also, he's not only the Lord who created us, but by virtue of that, he owns us. But by virtue of saving us, we're doubly owned. So he created us, he owns us. We're slave. Paul tells us in, in Romans 6 that we're slaves of Christ. We're bond servants. We're doubly owned. Okay. So in Romans 6, verse 1, after giving, you know, talking about sin and uh, the grace of God and what Christ has come to do in Romans 6, 1, he, he says, Okay, he, he anticipates rejection. So maybe I can just live however I want to. You know, it's cool, right? I, I just whip out my eternal life card at the end of the day and I'll be good because, you know, God doesn't care, right? And he says, may it never be. No. And he, and he says it again later on in that, that text. And so, so we're, we're saved not by some sort of cheap grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we're saved by costly grace. And that means that out of out of gratitude we should have grateful thankful obedience uh out of, out of hearts that love christ and desire what he does which is our obedience jesus said you know in, in john 14 and 15 if you love me obey my commandments mm -hmm. but, but we're not talking about obedience for salvation we're talking about the fruit of salvation we're talking about what salvation leads to leads to a transformed life. Um, so whether, as I mentioned earlier, whether we're talking about homosexual sin or heterosexual sin or transgender sin or whatever gender pronouns or, you know, all of that, we can just say it's all sin. Um, in fact, it's interesting in First Thessalonians 4, 3, the will of God, we, we everybody wonders what the will of God is. Here it is. Your sanctification can yep. if, if you can't say, ouch, say, you know. Ugh, you know, <laughs> say a man or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, it's 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 true. God desires us 
to become who we are because of who we belong to. We are his and he is ours. And so we are becoming as his people more like Christ. And so, so what that means is we shouldn't desire the old things. We, we've been transferred from the, Paul says in Colossians 1, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And so we, we, we dine at the table of the king and we don't dine it and we don't go back to that old table. We go to the table of Christ. And this is why Colossians 3 tells us to put off the old man because we're new creations in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. So this, this is, this is when we're talking about this, we're talking about any kind of sex outside of marriage. That's a hookup, pornography, homosexual, all of it, cohabitation, all of it is sin. Okay. We're not against people here. Uh, we're for people as Christians. We're, they're made in the image and likeness of God, but we're against sin because it's against the Lord. It right. violates the law of God. And and this is why Jesus came, Luke 19.10, on a rescue mission to save sinners from their sin. Uh, in fact, John 10 proves this. Uh, it, it says that Jesus leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one lost sheep. And that's what Luke 19.10 is saying. He, he came to seek and to save the lost, and he does that by reconciling sinners to himself through his death, burial, and resurrection. And this provides the fuel, if you will, for why what Jesus says to us as Christians in John 14.15, I believe, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Yeah. Do you love him? Obey his commandments. What are his commandments? The law is clear. One man, one woman. For life, anything outside of that is against the law, the Amen. law of God that made you and against his design. And so yeah. I'll leave it at that. Well, it's uh, a good place to leave it because I've got another uh, question here. So today in our culture, um, we hear a lot of uh, people being really concerned with um, finding themselves, finding oneself, um, how to love their self, themselves, um, how to um, know deeper, know themselves and that type of thing. In fact, um, it has even spread further into the church um, through uses of tools like uh, the Enneagram, for example, a very um, self-centered um, self-revealing or whatever uh, tool. So people are clearly obsessed with this uh, type of thought or philosophy. And I just wanted you to touch on that for a minute. Like, why is it so harmful to have that type of um, philosophy? How, how is that impactful to not only our um, our study of the word or our relationship with the Lord or our prayer life. How, how is that impactful to our relationships with God and others? Everything in our lives is a matter of our worldview. So if we love ourselves and we're seeking love outside of what God has said, love is as defined in the word, then we're seeking something that he never made for us. So we're being disobedient. Self-love is disobedient. It's a, it's a tool to keep us from God. Now, it's important to say this also. Who is the father of lies? Satan, obviously. Satan. And what yeah. does Satan want to do? 
Still kill and destroy. Exactly. And where do we learn that in? The Bible. <laughs> Correct. Well, first Peter five, but yes. Yeah. But, but still. So so that makes even just that little thought experience that shows the absurdity of self-love. It shows the absurdity of analytical tools like the Enneagram or even yoga and um, critical race theory, intersectionality, all of it. It shows the foolishness of it because these philosophies are grounded in the world. And what does Satan want to do? He wants us to go back to the world. Instead, we have a better word, right? We have a word in the Bible. God has given us a tool in scripture to analyze the world and not only to know what the world is to be, but also how to think about the world and mm -hmm. to see the world. And that's what God has given us in the Bible. And that's why um, loving oneself or pursuing one's highest dreams or highest self yes. or whatever I feel like to pat myself on the back on the other day and to feel myself, feel good about myself. That that's why um, that, that idea is absurd. And it is so prevalent, as you said, in our culture, especially with the rise of new age thinking and philosophy in our day, but it absolutely undermines the Bible. It undermines the authority of the Bible. It undermines the inerrancy of the Bible. It undermines the infallibility of the Bible it especially it assaults the sufficiency of scripture. And sadly, you know, um, we got to pre, we got to take people back to the Bible and say, this is the truth in love. This is what the Bible says. This is what you say. Which one do you believe? And we got to, we got to take them and show them this is what this text means. The text means something because behind the text is God, the God who made you, the God who fashioned you, the one that, that you were made by Psalm 139 and, and that you rebel against because you think that you're better than God. And you have a better definition than God does, even though he made you, you know, and he upholds you and he sustains you and he gave you those skills and those talents and those abilities. You, you think that you're better than God. <laughs> and isn't that arrogant? Isn't that prideful? By the way, Psalm Proverbs 15 tells us that that pride is one of the things God hates. It's an abomination in the sight of the Lord. Yeah. And these are the people that want to come to the Bible. But but do you want to hear that about your sin, that God hates pride? And by the way, this is why Jesus died for you. And so, no, there's no such thing as self-love. There's only the love that, that Jesus has. Um, by the way, Romans 5 tells us this, that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's good news, that Christ died for us. Because without him, we we would perish. And that's what we deserve. We deserve to perish. We deserve hell and damnation. And until we're able to see that all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, and that God being rich in his mercy and, and the abundant love of, of that he has, and he came under that sentence of death for us, uh, we'll never we'll never understand what salvation is, and we'll never understand what real love is. We'll we'll still have that false love. Well, I feel like um, nowadays we see a lot of people. Well, we've we've talked about how they're putting their feelings above um, the Bible and you know what the scriptures scriptures teach. But we also see that they're willing; they're more willing to try and um 
be uh, accommodating to other groups of people that don't agree with them and all in the name of like unity. Right. So we see that happening with, you know, um, homosexuality in the church and their, you know, acceptance of that. We see that happening with other um, denominations where progressive teaching has really taken uh, what people would call Christianity to a place where it's no longer recognizable. And um, obviously this has been going around happening for a long, long time, I'm sure. But uh, it seems to really have exploded in recent years. And, um, you know, we, we're always called to be um, witnesses um, to the good news and, we're told to um, hold fast to the truth of God's word. The problem is, is that um, we have people like our, our neighbors that are Mormon or Jehovah's Witness um, who claim to be Christian, who claim to know the truth. Uh, they say, you know, I've, I've have a special revelation. <laughs> Or in some cases, Joseph Smith had a special revelation, and I believe that it's true. And uh, a lot of Christians nowadays, they don't really understand uh, enough about the Bible. I feel like they're so biblically illiterate that they don't have the ability to answer accurately um, how just how unbiblical these teachings are. Can you? Um, touch on how these so-called sects, sects of Christianity have distorted scripture and its interpretation? Yeah. Well, in the case of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses specifically, you have them doing what the Bible forbids, which is adding to the Bible. They add books to the Bible. And you, so you have the Bible, but they also retranslate the Bible because they don't think that it's you know, without error and without the possibility of error. So they have to retranslate it to suit their theology, which again, as we've been discussing, what you do with the Bible reveals what you believe about the Bible. And this is the perfect example of that because here, here you have uh, people that, you know, want to come to the Bible. They want to learn from the Bible. They, they, they want to discuss the Bible. And yet we have to be honest. In fact, one Jehovah's Witness one time actually said, I asked him, who is Jesus? Well, I don't believe in the Jesus that you believe, and I don't believe in the Bible that you believe. I, 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 I literally can't even make up that example because it literally proves the point that I'm making, um, that it matters what we believe about the Bible. Um, and so, dear Christian, you do not have to fudge or compromise on the Bible on any of these things. There are good answers, and the church has emphatically, emphatically, responded at Nicaea, at Chalcedon, uh, to the issue of the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. I encourage you, as you read my book, um, you know, I, I hate giving that answer, but as you read my book, um, I have a whole chapter on this. But it, but to the question, it matters because of the clarity of Scripture. Scripture is clear about what it is. Revelation 22 forbids adding um, Scripture at all to anything. It, it's enough. The, the Bible is is closed. And so we have enough in scripture. Well, I appreciate your uh, takeaway on that. And it's a really great 
uh, conclusion, I think, to this interview, because so much of what we've been talking about is just uh, how we really, truly, absolutely need to hold to the, the Bible as true, um, as authoritative, as uh, infallible, you know, that we can't bend on that at all. There, there isn't a wiggle room, if you will, on that. So I appreciate your, you taking the time to share with us and to uh, give us a little teaser of what people can find in your book when they read it. And hopefully they do pick up a copy. So where can people find you on social media and otherwise? Well, if you guys already don't find me, I'm on uh, Facebook, Dave J. Jenkins, SOG, Instagram, Dave J. Jenkins, Twitter, at Dave J. Jenkins. You know, on the show, I tackle, I interview authors on Mondays and Wednesdays. I tackle all sorts of issues, but I also want to encourage you to check out our magazine. Um, Sarah, my lovely wife, is uh, the managing editor of our magazine, and, and she puts it all together and does the copy editing and all that. So we have over two dozen issues, and uh, we cover a lot of different topics. So, you know, I just want to say check out our resources on serpentsofgrace.org. Well, and do you have any final takeaways for our listeners uh, who normally watch this show? Yeah, you know, I think you really hit it on the head because, you know, what we do with the Bible really does matter. And so don't compromise, whether that's on Adam as a real person or on marriage or uh, biblical sexuality, biblical morality, as we've discussed, or you're dealing with a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or an atheist or anything. Know what your Bible says. Know what the church has taught, and you're going to be equipped to be used by God. As a Christian, you should want to be used by God. Um, you have the Holy Spirit. He indwells you, um, and, and he sends you out from your local church every, every Sunday, every Lord's Day, to go make disciples who make disciples. And we're commanded to be ready to give a reason for the answer for our hope. First uh, Peter three fifteen Jude three to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We're, we're even to be gentle with people that God might be gracious to them, uh, and and uh, open open eyes. Second uh, Timothy two twenty four through twenty five. So so be a Christian who's taking the word seriously themselves. Is reading it. Is studying it. Um, is taking it into their life. Is doing life with God's people. God's going to grow you, and then because of this, you're going to have a life that pleases God. You're going to have a life that is described by uh, increasingly by Galatians five. Uh, and by the way, Paul even says you you can you can't have enough of the fruits of the spirit. Uh, there's no law for that, so you can have <laughs> as much of that as you want. Uh, not as much of the world, but you can have as much of Jesus and as much of the Bible. As you can take, and there's no law, Paul says, for that. That that, that if, if if nothing else I said blows your mind, that, that should probably explode it at that point. Um, but you know, but guys, I, I just want to say uh first thank you to my wife. She did an she helped me um through this project. It's it's been an amazing blessing. I'm very thankful that this book is out. Um it's been my sanctification project for sure, our <laughs> sanctification project. And uh, I am so thankful that this book is coming out. And thank you so much for listening and watching this show every every Monday and Wednesday and all my other ones too. So 
uh, you guys, you must really like what I have to say. So I hope it's helpful and uh, try to be faithful and focused and humble. So thank you guys for listening and thank you, sweetheart, for hosting the show today. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.